Seems like in the summer months, the 10 o'clock service, we're all getting just... Thank you for downloading and listening to the Briam Bible Church Sunday morning podcast. Briam Bible Church is located in Shoreline, Washington, morning worship at 11, and many more events throughout the week. For more information, please visit our website at www.bereanshoreline.org. Kind of used to it, so we come in kind of quiet and enjoy the worship time, and I uh, just want to give you a chance to greet each other. And by the time you get used to it, we're going back to next week. We'll be at 11 o'clock, okay? So uh, remember that to join us next week. You know, we've been uh, studying and uh, preaching from First Peter this summer, and we are going to begin today the final chapter of First Peter, chapter 5. So if you want to turn there in your Bibles for a moment, <clears throat> as we've studied First Peter, um, there have been some uh, challenging sections of Scripture to explain, to consider, to consider different opinions on and so forth. And, um, you know, at my age, I should be smart enough to assign those to Gary and Kevin, you know, but uh, let them have the easy ones. No, Gary had a couple of hard ones. Today is one that's just really close to my heart, and it's one of these passages of Scripture that, uh, if you understand what I'm saying, just can kind of preach itself. You know, you can, it pretty well, it doesn't take a whole lot of explaining. It takes more uh, taking it to heart. And I'm really uh, looking forward to sharing this with you this morning. And uh, just because of my background, this, this church family and our history and heritage, this is our 50th anniversary, year of Jubilee, right? Bible year of Jubilee, you have to give all the property back to whoever owns <laughs> What? I get the year off. Oh, that's right. <laughs> thanks, thanks, Richard. Year of Jubilee. Well, but let's pray as we open God's Word. Father, we thank you for your Word this morning. We thank you for the privilege of just coming in freedom again, Lord, as I mentioned earlier. We just thank you that we are free people to come open your Word, to share around it. We are free to teach it to our children and youth. And Lord, as we meet now, I just I want to thank you for those uh, leaders who are working with our children this morning, uh, the commitment they make uh, to this ministry, the love that they show. Uh, it's just uh, it's just so wonderful to have the children with us and leaders uh, with us. So bless them as they're around your word and, and activities this morning. And bless us as we open your word. Uh, may your words be heard today. And may your thoughts be our thoughts. And we pray this in Christ our Savior's name. Amen. <clears throat> you know, you never begin with an apology, but I do need to apologize that uh, actually Pastor Kevin was going to be preaching this week. But um, he had to make a trip out of town, and so the passage that he was going to cover, which I think you were focusing on this morning, is next week. So all the, yeah, that's good. So some of the thoughts on God's care and everything, you're preparing for next Sunday, okay? Uh, I forgot to tell Faith, and they do such a good job of trying to incorporate the scriptures into our worship. But like I say, you know, uh, every week we're talking about God. And so the songs we sing and the scripture we, we have um, all fit. <clears throat> Pastor Kevin tried to kill me last week. Um, <clears throat> uh, you know, there are coups and so on, and, uh, but we had the church softball game last week, and I was just innocently walking by the dugout before we started uh, playing, and I got nailed by a softball right there. And, uh, you know, softballs aren't really soft. <laughs> They're just bigger, <laughs> that's all. <laughs> They're just a bigger hardball. And uh, fortunately, my uh, hard head... Um, just put a little ice on it for a while and got back in the game and uh, got on second base. And so uh, it didn't work. So when Pastor Kevin's come back, uh, you, you make sure that he knows I'm still alive and well. 
Johnny Winter died this year. You know, he, that was his song, Still Alive and Well. Okay, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 1. To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder, a witness of Christ's suffering, and one who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, serving as overseers, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be, not greedy for money, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. Young men, in the same way, be submissive to those who are older. All of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another, because God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Now, I want to work through this passage with you this morning, and then I want to draw some conclusions and applications for my life and for your life, for all of us as a church family uh, today that I think are very important. As we begin this passage, and we're going to see some key words for leadership in the Christian church, and you notice he begins, to the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder. And that's a very good translation of this passage. Um, the word for elder here is a word that we get episcopal from, episkopos. And there are some key words in the New Testament that describe church leadership. And it's a li- frankly, as I study this from Timothy and Titus and from uh, Peter and some of the other passages, it is a little difficult um, to be so specific and say, well, you know, uh, episcopus uh, 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 is this, a deacon is this, a presbytery is this. We're going to see the word presbytery as well as uh, the, uh, the word for uh, episcop- episcopus in here as well. And to here, the, the leaders, the presbytery. This, I'm sorry, this is the word for presbytery. I made a mistake there. The episcopus comes later. To pres- the presbytery, presbyteros. And, um, but I just want to remind you that this, this is early on in a Christian church story, and it's a little difficult for us to know exactly how the church was organized and exactly what the distinctions, you know, in Acts, we have those who were, who were the, the apostles and then those who were the, the servers, but Stephen was a server, you know, and Stephen was certainly a man who was, who was a fine preacher and teacher, so all I'm saying is in the early church, this is during the formative stages, and it's interesting that God never lays down any specific guidelines for how a church is organized, how leaders are chosen. They are there. And what, he, what God gives us in Timothy and Titus, really what he gives us are the characteristics, the traits, the spiritual qualities for leaders. And of course, in Timothy and Titus, we have two groups of leaders, um, I personally think that, that God probably did this for a reason, just because every culture, every situation, you know, history changes, how we elect, how we choose. We have a way in our church of choosing elders. We have an elder board at our church. We have 10 elders. Um, I'm an elder as well, and we sit together with the other staff uh, once a month. We have th- things throughout the year. Um, we elect them for a three-year term. We'll be doing that in uh, September, um, and uh, we will have three uh, men for you to affirm. We're not, you're not running against each other, but we have a system set up. You know, other churches do it differently. Some boards appoint their own elders. Some are um, elected for longer term. Some call them deacons. You know, the, the point, I think, the main point to remember, 
There is leadership in the early church and the early churches. And frankly, a lot of it was seen to be based on what they inherited from the Old Testament from Israel. And that is the idea of elders, of leaders. And it was a natural thing as the church began to meet. And they began to meet on the first day of the week, day of resurrection, which is Sunday. They probably met at night. It was a working day. They probably met in homes to begin with. They may have met in facilities that they were larger, whatever. As it, as it developed and as, and as things moved ahead, uh, they began their own worship services. They wrote their own hymns and songs. They used the Psalms. They, 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 they taught on Scripture. Much of it was patterned after the old synagogue-type service, but it took on its, its new flavor. But they were the new family of God. They were Christians. And in that situation, there were leaders, and the situation emerged where probably the apostles, as they traveled, we know the apostle Paul, as he traveled, appointed elders to serve and left them, and he left to go to the next city, and those elders were responsible to help train and to teach and to, and to discipline and disciple new elders. And um, so we have, we have these words kind of sometimes overlapping is what I'm saying. So I don't want to focus so much on that, but as on the character qualities and the thoughts here. And what's really interesting to me in verse 1, that this is, this is Peter. This is the apostle Peter, who was held in such high regard early on that first century, um, and who was a very fine apostle, a very fine man of God. And you notice that he says, uh, contrary to what many may think today, he says, I am a fellow presbyterian, I'm a fellow elder with you. Peter does not put himself and does not address them as the apostle, which he was. He, he could have. But in this particular case, he says, to the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder. I too am an elder. I too am like you. And, and uh, the, the idea of rank and authority and so on we're going to see is, is really not the language that's used. It's, it's, it's the language of, of calling and of shepherding and of leading and of, and of eldering. And Peter says, I am a fellow elder with you, you elders. Wherever, wherever these, the churches that he wrote to were, um, were, it's not as specific. And that's why this letter is not called the epistle to a city. It's the epistle of 1 Peter to the diaspora, to the spread out. And we believe that the, the, the primary emphasis, these Jewish believers, is that Peter's call was to the circumcision, as Paul's was to the uncircumcision. And as Peter wrote to these churches and these people, he says, I am a fellow elder with you. I am a fellow elder. And I appeal to you on this basis. And I appeal to you also, he says in verse 1, a witness of Christ's suffering and of one who will share in the glory to be revealed. Now this is kind of interesting because if you think back to the story of Peter from the Gospels, where was Peter when Christ was suffering? Huh? He, he fled. I mean, remember he was in the courtyard and while they were interrogating Jesus and they were abusing him and so forth, and he was accused of being a disciple and he swore, he cursed, he cussed, he used language he shouldn't have used up and down. I never knew the man. But there is that little glimpse in there where it says that, that Jesus looked at him and Peter wept, remember, and went outside. So Peter was a witness to his sufferings, and, and many have, in fact, many have even doubted the authenticity of, of the apostle Peter, the disciple writing this letter that someone else did because they say he wasn't a witness. Well, how, we don't know. We don't know where those disciples were when he was crucified. John was there. He, he, he had left too. They all left, but, but John was there. 
Um, Peter may have been somewhere in the vicinity and watched the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. This word also can be the word witness in the sense that you and I are witnesses of the suffering of Jesus Christ. You didn't see it happen, but we witness to other people the story of the suffering of Jesus Christ. And that, that word easily in this context can be used that way. But he says, either way, he says, as one who is a witness, a, a, a uh, one who can tell the story truthfully, and, and I know of Jesus' sufferings, but I also will share in the glory to be revealed. Here is my message to you elders. Here is my message to you. And I want you to notice four things here this morning as we look at this. First of all, in verse 2, he says this, Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, serving as overseers. And this is where the word that we get episcopal from uh, is worked in here as well. Um, that, that he says, you, you elders, presbyteros, presbyteros, be shepherds and oversee the people you're working with. And I want you just to stop this morning and, and consider that word shepherd. This is a word that is always um, affiliated with pastoring, with leading in a, in a local church. Uh, shepherding. Some years ago, I don't know if it's been like five years or so maybe, we had a pastor's conference that Grace Gospel Fellowship put on each year. They have a leadership conference. And the theme was the lost art of shepherding. And I stole that from my sermon title this morning. I, I stole it, okay? I'll, leave, I'll tell you that right up front. Um, I thought it was a great, a great title because in today's world, um, where so much emphasis on administration and media and so forth, there can be the lost aspect in the local church of shepherding, of shepherding. And uh, the speaker at that conference, um, H.B. Uh, London, who is a Nazarene pastor who worked for uh, Focus on the Family, he's Jim Dobson's cousin, and they hired him strictly to minister to pastors. That's all he, was, that's all he did. And, uh, and he ministered to pastors, and he, he came and spoke at our conference. And this is one of the passages that we focus on, along with another one we're going to look at. Be shepherds. Now, I don't, I, I'd be the first to admit, I, I'm a city boy. I grew up in uh, Greenwood. I live in the same place I grew up in, but now we call it Finney Ridge, okay? <laughs> you know, it sounds much better. Um, or we could say Green Lake, all right? But uh, that's where I live. I'm a city boy. I, I, I unabashedly, I like the city. Um, I'm not a country boy. I like being out in the country enjoying it, but I, I like the city. I'm an urban guy. That's just me. Um, our kids went to school in the city, and that's, that's where we are. Um, uh, so I've never shepherded. I've never, I've never spent a night really doing any farm work, okay? Other than taking my dog for a walk and raising tomatoes, but I don't have to do that anymore because you all raise them and bring them to church, and so <laughs> this is the time of year that we all have tomatoes. Um, shepherding, raising sheep. But you know enough about the world... Now, some of you, Jerry, Snow, and some of you have spent more time taking care of animals in uh, different situations, um, and, and farm and ranches and so forth, so some of you know firsthand, but I think all of us are, have enough experience in the world to relate a little bit to what a shepherd does. You know, if I were to ask you, in fact, there are lists, what, what are some things a shepherd does? You could go ahead and say it, and I'll repeat it so people can hear. What, what do shepherds do? Okay, protection. Shepherds are there to protect they, they, they watch out for the predators because sheep are very vulnerable. 
And I've heard people talk about dumb sheep. I don't know if sheep are dumb or not. Um, you know, um, but, but they, they do need protection. They are, they, are very, they are very innocent. They are very vulnerable to attacks. Okay? Like wolves who put sheep clothing on, right? They go after them, that kind of thing. What else do they do? They protect. Pardon? They lead. Thanks, Mike. They lead. Shepherds are there to lead the flock. They lead them to places where they can what? Feed. So shepherds also do what? Nurture or feed. Help feed the flock. They nurture them. They protect. They lead. They nurture the flock. Anything else? Thank you. Thank you, Chris. They gather in the strays. If a, if a lamb wanders away, and of course the great story from the Bible, the lost what? The lost sheep. If a shepherd has a hundred sheep and one of them strays away, he doesn't go home and say, well, I still got 99. Jesus says, no, what does he do? He goes out and scours the countryside till he finds that lamb and brings it home. And you all know the famous paintings and pictures of, of the Lord Jesus Christ with a lamb on his shoulders, this idea. He, he gathers in the strays. See, you, you never shepherded, probably, most of you, but you can relate to this, what a shepherd does. And it's interesting, isn't it, that this is the language that is used of church leaders, of elders, of leaders in the local church, that we are called to be shepherds. And we have in our church pastors, and we also have elders. And I am so thankful, having grown up in this church, for the history and tradition we have of, of godly men who have served as elders. Um, you know, it's been a very um, rewarding thing, sometimes a very sad thing, but as I've, even done, I've done so many funerals of, 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 and pastored and, and of, of men who were my elders growing up that, uh, that God has called on. And I think back on, I can see their faces in the pews here still. And I think of this tradition we have in our church of men willing to serve as elders. And we've never yet, we, in 50 years, we have never yet come to you at an annual meeting and said, well, we're sorry, but this year we only have this many because we couldn't get enough to serve. That's never happened here. Because uh, we have a high regard for this and, and high standards to realize this is an important calling. But we are called to protect the flock. Um, there are times, you know, the Apostle Paul will see in passage in Acts where he talks about that there will be some that will come from your very midst to destroy the flock. We know that, that uh, Pastor Kevin will be preaching next week on Satan going about like a roaring lion. So he's a very real personal threat to God's work. And we are called to protect the flock. It takes a lot of wisdom. We are called to lead the flock. We are called to make decisions, you know, and, and if you know in any leadership capacity, there comes a point where you have to make a decision. And when you make decisions and you step into a leadership role, you have to, uh, you have to assume that there will be criticism, there will be difference of opinions, and there are times where that criticism needs to be taken to heart and say, well, let's, look, let's step back. Are we doing the right thing? And there are other times where it's sort of a mean-spirited type criticism that you just have to accept and you have to move on. And, and do what God's called you to do. But what's God's called you to do? We, we're called to protect, we are called to lead, and we are called to nurture and to feed. We are called to nurture. We are called to hold God's word. Essentially, when it comes down to it, it is not my words, and not Pastor Gary or Kevin, it's not the elders, the teachers in our church. It's not our words that nurture you, it's God's word. Amen? It's God's word. And we are called to present and to teach and to explain and to share and to involve our lives and our children and young people and adults with God's word. 
we, we chose the name Berean. We had a, a contest, if you will, to choose the name for our church. And we started 50 years ago, 1964. And the name Berean was chosen because in Acts chapter 17, when Paul went to the city of Berea, after his experience in Thessalonica, and, and it says that the, 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 the Jews there, as they gathered in the synagogue, and they came back during the week, and they spread out the scrolls, and they talked with Paul, and they debated, and they maybe argued, and they inter- but they went to the Scripture. They rolled the scrolls out, and they went to the Scripture to see if what Paul was teaching from the Old Testament prophecies about Christ were true. Not, not whether they didn't like what he said, but whether the Scripture said that. And, the, and, and Luke says in Acts that they were more noble because they were willing to go to the Scriptures to see if what was said was true or not. And we took that name for this church, the Brian Church. Later we did change it to Brian Bible Church. It's not Burian, right? I mean, how many times have you had someone say, I go to Brian Bible Church? Oh, Burian. No, not Burian. Berean Bible Church. Well, what does that mean? And then you, you have the opportunity to explain. This is, why we, this is why we're called this. Because we believe in our nurturing role as shepherds and, and pastors, as elders, that we are to go to God's Word and use this as our touchstone to nurture and to feed. So I think this is a very... It's a, and, uh, as, but I want you to notice what it's really connected to at the very end, verse 4, not the very end, but one of the later verses. It says, when the chief shepherd, it's the word arch or archi, um, the word top or head, connected with the Greek word for shepherd, when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the glory that will never fade away, the crown of glory that will never fade away. So the idea here is, and you'll, you'll hear the term under-shepherds is really the proper term. I am an under-shepherd. The elders in our church are under-shepherds. Uh, Pastor Gary and Kevin, we are under-shepherds. And that is because we are under the chief shepherd of the church, the Lord Jesus Christ. Peter was not the chief shepherd of the church. The Lord Jesus Christ is the arch-shepherd. They are the under-shepherds. And, and as is, that is our role. And as we are the under-shepherds of this flock, we are called to care for it. And you'll notice in verse 2, he says, be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, serving as overseers. This is God's flock. This is not Pastor Jim's church. This is not the elders' church. This was never Pastor Peterson's church. This is God's church. God's church. This is God's flock. And we are called under shepherds to, to care for God's flock. You do not belong to me. You belong to God. And I belong to God. And we are in this together, if you will. Some have said, well, it's interesting that the Apostle Paul doesn't use the word shepherd in his epistles. So there's a thought, well, did he find this appropriate for the churches he wrote to in his ministry to the Gentile churches especially? Um, is this something that was part of his understanding? Now, I, want to, I want to ask you to turn to Acts chapter 20. And I want to suggest to you it certainly was because in Acts chapter 20, you have a passage very similar to 1 Peter 5. Very similar. And in Acts, in Acts chapter 20... The Apostle Paul is speaking to the elders of the church at Ephesus. You know, later on we have the epistle to the Ephesians, a very, very important fundamental epistle to understand what God is doing in the world today. And to the same group, the Ephesian elders, as he goes out to meet with them, and they actually come to him uh, to meet with him. Uh, Let's look at verse 25. He is having a very impassioned speech or sermon or talk with these elders. 
Now I know that none of you among whom I have gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. Therefore, I declared you today. He, he planned on dying. Paul planned on dying as a martyr for his work. And he and Peter both were executed. Uh, Paul was beheaded, most likely, because he was a Roman citizen. Peter, was, the church history has it, was crucified for his role. I know you will never see me again. Therefore, verse 26, I declare to you today that I am innocent of the blood of all men, for I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God, talking to the leaders of the church, the elders. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Again, this interaction of terms here. Has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God. The exact same word. Paul tells the leaders of the church of Ephesus, be shepherds. Shepherd that flock. It is God's flock. Not only that, but look what Paul says here. Shepherd, shepherd the flock of God, which he, any doubt that Christ is God? Any doubt that Christ is deity? Look at this change of words here. He says, the church of God, which he, Christ, bought with his own blood. This is very serious. Paul says, listen, elders of Ephesus, I'm not going to see you again. At least he assumes he's not going to see them again. We don't know if he ever did or not. But, but, he, but he says, I'm not planning to see you again. I just, here's my parting words to you. Be shepherds. Be shepherds. Protect. Feed. Lead. Care for. Go after the lost. Nurture the flock of God. Be shepherds of God's flock. And remember as you do this, he bought this flock with his own blood. It belongs to God. This is God's flock. This is very, very serious. This is very important. In fact, he goes on to say, I know after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock, even from your own number. Listen, he's, he's talking to the elders. He's talking to the elders at Ephesus. I, I hate to tell you this, but I know even from your own number, there are going to be those who are going to come and try to tear this flock apart and destroy it. They'll distort the truth. They'll try and draw you away. So be on your guard. Remember, for three years, I never stopped warning. Verse 31, each of you night and day with tears. Now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. So Paul clearly uses this terminology and applies it to church leaders and calls them shepherds. And he says, shepherd the flock that, that Christ bought with his own blood. Protect them from even the future when even some among you are going to come and try to, to, try to destroy this flock. This comes from a very Jewish background because in the Old Testament, especially the Greek translation of the Old Testament, this exact language is used. So often, you know, some of the well-known passages, Isaiah 53, all we like sheep of what? Gone astray. We have gone each to our own way, but, but God laid on him the penalty for our sins. By his stripes we are healed. This idea in the Old Testament in a very clear in Jeremiah and Ezekiel. If you've been reading through the Old Testament, we've been doing our read through the Bible. We just finished this portions of the prophecies, Ezekiel, Jeremiah. And you'll see over and over again this reference to, to shepherding and that, and that Israel's leaders were held accountable for not shepherding and in fact for destroying the flock. The shepherds are not supposed to butcher the flock. They're supposed to take care of the flock. And they are, they are, um, they are chastised for this. 
And the promise is, is that God will raise up a shepherd himself who will care for the flock. Jesus Christ came and said, what? I am the, come on, say, I am the what? The good shepherd. The good shepherd cares for the flock. And so this concept in the Old Testament is, in this Jewish background is very strong that, that God had called people, had called men to shepherd the flock of Israel and they had failed. But that God himself would raise up a shepherd. What was David when he was called to be the king of Israel? He was what? The shepherd boy. So this idea, this concept is really permeates the Old Testament. And when Peter writes this, especially with his background, when Paul writes this as well as a, as a Pharisee, a, a, a one raised at the feet of Gamaliel, the Jewish scholar, this idea of shepherding is just a natural thing. Shepherd the flock that God has purchased with his own blood. Now quickly, back to 1 Peter chapter 5. I want you to notice the, the, the qualities that he said. Here's what I want you to do, shepherds. First of all, in verse 2, be shepherds of God's flocks. Well, the first one is to be a shepherd, leaders, under your care, serving as overseers. Number one, number two, not because you must, but because you are willing as God wants you to be. We have just read in chapter 4, that the, the, the judgment is beginning already at the household of God. And we talked about this last week and the persecution going on today and the fact we connected this with this overall, the last days, even though it may seem like it's been a long time to God, it's a day, it's a thousand years, a thousand years as if a day. We are living in the last era of God's redemptive history before the tribulation and the coming kingdom. And during this time, uh, the, the church is to be persecuted. There is going to be hardships. And so you would expect to step forward as a leader, to step forward of a leader of a, of a persecuted group. Would you want to step forward in northern Iraq or Syria today and claim to be a leader of the Christian church? To step forward and be a leader is going to be costly. And, and Peter says here, listen, I want you to do this not because you have to, because someone has said you have to do this, no one else can do it, but because you're willing to. Because God has moved in your heart to do this. I want you to be willing to do this. I thank God that we, have, we will have 10 elders this year on our list. And, and um, every year some go off. Uh, they've served, we have a six-year term and they go off. And, and every year, though, even though we have some rotation, we will have our list of, and none of them are doing it because we have begged them. I have not gone, the, the nominating committee has not gone to anybody and says, listen, we, we're down the bottom of the barrel, could you please do it? <laughs> <clears throat> that is not a really good motivator. You know, to, uh, no, we have men who are willing to take that responsibility. And it's, it costs. It's a commitment. Peter says, do it because you're willing. I want you to notice the second thing. In the same verse, he says, we're, we're, in, we're in verse 2 here. He says, not greedy for money, but eager to serve. Now, that may not occur to you today, but you know that does happen even in today's world. There are those who are in the ministry for the money. And we call them charlatans. Um, you know, there's, this has always been the case. And even early on, these leaders were responsible for taking care of the collective gifts that were given by the people when they came and brought their tithes and offerings. Again, an Old Testament tradition that just became a natural part of the New Testament story and we see, I think, already that there are leaders who are being supported by the church. I am supported, Pastor Gary supported, by you. 
this is our job, if you will. We are full-time in, in Christian leadership. We have full-time Christian mi missionaries. We have part-time people. We have others. And we have people in our church who are entrusted every week. You know, I, I forget our budget, but it's a half a million dollars or something for the year plus $120,000 in mission budget. We have people that count that money, they take care of that money, that deposit that money, and, uh, and, and, and we have all sorts of checks and balances in, and our church has never had an issue with that, thank the Lord, because of the honesty of the people involved. And, but there are those who could take advantage of it. And even in the early church, as the, as the gifts came in, they could be taken advantage of by those who were, who were watching over it. They could be taken advantage of by those who wanted to go into ministry because that's how they wanted to earn their living, not because they were called. So he says, don't, don't do it because you have to. And if you think you're going to do it uh, to, to make a lot of money and to and take advantage, don't do it. Don't do that. You do it because God has called you to do it. And then I want you to notice this, because he says, and eager to serve in verse 2. And then verse 3, not... Now, there are different translations, and I know there's a whole bunch of translations available to you today, and even as we read this, there are different translations. The NIV says this, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples of the flock. The Apostle Peter tells these men, be shepherds, be shepherds. Don't destroy the flock, take care of the flock. Do it because you're willing to do what God wants you to do. Don't do it for money. Don't, and we could, I think we could add to that today, don't do it for prestige or power or influence. Don't do it because you're finally going to get your way as a leader. And he, says, and he says also, he says, listen, if you're going to do it, don't do it with arrogance, but do it as one who is not, I like the NIV, don't lord it over people. You know, this is part of the Bible story. And I, again, I thank God for the men that I have served with and the men who have served as I was growing up in this church for the attitude of the elders in this church and the way they serve. This is so important. I want you to notice, you can go back to the Gospels. I mean, so much of this comes from Peter's experience with the Lord. To go back to Matthew chapter 20. We're in Acts 20. Go back to Matthew 20. You can remember those passages. Matthew chapter 20. And the Lord Jesus Christ, we actually covered this account not too long ago in a sermon. But it's, it's, this, it's the account when they were uh, traveling to Jerusalem and the mother of uh, Zebedee's two sons came and said, um, you know, can, you, can my son sit on your right and left hand in the kingdom that's going to come? Can, can they be the ones to sit on your right and left? It was pretty bold. And, and Jesus, as usual, didn't scold her, didn't yell at her, but he gave her an honest answer and says, you know, you, you can't, you know, you don't know what you're asking. But I want you to notice in verse 25, Jesus called them together, that is his disciples. He called them together and he said, listen, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. Peter was there hearing this. And their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Now this is the model for leadership in God's work. I, I don't care what dispensation, what era you're in, whether it's the kingdom, the, the law, the church, the body of Christ, I think in the coming tribulation, those in authority, this is a biblical principle that cuts across all ages. David, when he was called, he was so humble. Uh, Saul, when he was called originally, was so humble. And, then he, 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 and Solomon, too, when they were first called. It's supposed to last in your life. And he says this, listen, 
whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. This is strong language. Just, and here's the model. Here is the role model. Here is the example that we are to follow. Just as the Son of Man, that is Jesus, did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. The Lord Jesus Christ was God himself. And it says when he came to earth, he came for this purpose. He came to give his life for you and for me that we can claim forgiveness for sins and salvation today. And he came to serve, not to be served. This is the model for Christian leadership. This is the model for me as your pastor and for all of our pastors and elders. This is the model that we are to have, that we are to follow. It is not about me. It is not about anything having to do with, with my success or failure. It's, it's, it's the, I'm here to serve. I'm here to serve. I'm here to be your servant. And this is, a, this is sort of a, you know, an anomaly to, be, to think about this being a servant leader. But you know what? This is actually a, a very practical principle. It, for you here that, that have some type of leadership role, maybe in your place of work, in your community, maybe in a board or committee, um, whatever it is, you know, don't you like serving with these kind of people who can find a way to serve as a leader but still be there to serve you? Don't you like those kind of people? It is a very godly principle that actually works in all walks of life. You can apply this to your life. If, if you are working right now and, and you have a, any kind of role of leadership, you can apply this principle to your life, that you are there to serve. Yes, you have to lead. Yes, you have to make decisions. Sometimes you will not be popular. Sometimes it will be difficult. Uh, sometimes it will be costly. But you can still lead in such a way that you are serving those you are leading. That's what we call elected officials. Public what? Servants. That's why it's called that. It's a very, very important practical principle that you can put in the work in your family as parents. You can be the authority in your family. You can be the head of your household, the spiritual leader of your household. You can be the, the disciplinarian, and you can, but you can also be the one who's there to serve. To be there to serve and to be a servant for God. Listen, friends, this is the role model. This is what God has called us to. And this is why this is an easy passage for me to preach on because we have a culture in our church where we, and I'm not bragging, but we have tried to, to foster this and live by this. I have experienced it having grown up in this church. And Peter concludes and says, listen, when the chief shepherd, verse four, when the arch shepherd appears, you under shepherds, you will receive the crown of glory that will, that will never fade away. And then the, the last verse, young men in the same way. So there, there is a question, are these elders elders simply because they're older? Um, I think not, but I think it was a natural thing that in this early church, probably the ones who had been around the longest, this is early on in the story, were the elders. And uh, generally in our church, elders, uh, have, we have people who have, who have stood the test of time and they're walked, they're not perfect, that we wouldn't have any pastors or any elders if perfection was a requirement. Generally, though, as people have stood the test of time, they may be younger in age, 
but they have, they, they have the qualities of this leadership that God has called, and so we've asked them to serve. And we have, we have young, you know, we have people in the ministry today who are very young that are, that are serving as leaders and elders in their flock, if you were as pastors. But then he says in verse 5, young men, the same way, and this, this is a, a, a circular thing, be submissive to those who are older. So part of, the, part of the responsibility of the congregation, the flock, is to respond to God's leadership. It's easier to respond to this type of leadership, isn't it? It's easier to respond to this type of leadership. And when, when you have this kind of leadership, and he says, you be submissive. Again, this word throws all sorts of barriers up to people. It's not a bad word. Understanding authority and our responsibility to it is a good thing. It will take you a long way in your place of employment, young people, in your careers, if you will, that if you understand the importance of respect and showing that. And he says, listen, you young, you under, you, those of you younger, those underneath, be submissive to those who are older. But then look at all of you, in conclusion, all of you, elders, under shepherds, those under their authority, those who respond to that, all of you with humility toward one another because, and we have a quote from the Proverbs, God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. Amen? If you think you're humble, you're probably not. You know? If you think your spiritual gift is humility, um, you know, humbleness is, is, is a quality of, of, of true understanding of who you are before God accepting your limitations, accepting who you are, accepting what God has called you to do. And I just think it's wonderful how he begins this passage. He begins this passage as a fellow, this is Peter the Apostle. Peter the Apostle. He begins as a fellow elder with the rest of you. And he ends with all of you, all of us, be humble. Be humble. Submit to one another. For the sake of God's work. Now, when I conclude this morning, um, I shouldn't look at my watch. Sorry about that. I have, that's why there's a clock back there. So I don't have to look at my watch. Because when I look at my watch, what do you do? Come on, be honest. You look at your watch. Thank you. Okay, I know it's time to quit. But let me, let me make an application. Let me make an application. I, I need to do this. I need to do this. First of all, our church, and I'm not bragging, Please understand that. But our church has a history of producing more pastors, missionaries, full-time Christian workers and leaders than any church in our fellowship. You can look at our directory and you'll see that. Right now, there's another church back east that is maybe taking over that role and it happens to be a youth pastor from that church. is one of the kids that grew up in our church. Jeremy Hur. Uh, they are putting out a lot of pastors and, and leaders from that church in Eastport. Listen, friends, it's because when our church started, I was in junior high when our church started, and our pastor, Lloyd Peterson, and elders and leaders, many of you here today, made a point of telling us that we were here for the young people. We are, we are sacrificing, and I had a sense that people in my church were giving up what they could have so we could have this facility because it was important for our young people to have a home and a church home and learn to serve him. And because of that, we have produced many 
who have taken up this call of either serving as pastors, missionaries, leaders, president of the college, president of the GGF, chairman of the GMI board, or in elders here or in other churches as leaders and shepherds in their churches. And I want to remind you, friends, that, and young people, not, not, you know, not everybody's here today, I understand that. But for our young people, and if, God's, if, if God is calling you to this, if God is calling you to this, be willing. And parents and leaders and grandparents do not stand in their way and put doubts in their mind. Oh no, you'll never be able to make a living. You, you'll always be poor. You might have to go to Africa or Indonesia or the Middle East. Sam Benton, used to, who was raised in Africa, used to laugh at that and say, that was the worst thing that could happen was to have to go to Africa. And you know what? If you talk to all of our leaders, they'll tell you this is one of the number one obstacles. When God lays in the heart of somebody to go into ministry, to, to serve full-time, to be a leader, it's, it's the family and those around them who caution them. And I want to say, don't dare do that. And young people or adults, if God has is, is put this on your heart, that this is what he wants you to do. Yes, it's costly. Yes, it can be difficult. Yes, it can be challenging. Yes, you will get criticism. Yes, you're not adequate for it. But if God has put this on your heart, read 1 Peter 5. Read Acts 20. It's not for everybody. I understand that. And the second thing I want to say this morning is this. I already told you that, that Christ is the arch-shepherd, the archai, poenamos, the arch-shepherd. We are under-shepherds. This works at all levels of the church family. And I want to, I'm just going to unabashedly challenge you today and make no apology for it. If God is putting it on your heart, I'm not saying that everybody has to do this or everybody should do this. I fully understand that and you understand that. We're all adults here today. But if God has put it on your heart and you see our needs, listen, we have needs right now for youth and children, preschool, child, preschool childhood, teachers and leaders. The reason we have a need is because we are staying true to that calling that we originally started with, that we are here to provide a place for our children and youth to grow, to be nurtured, to have loving adults around them, to work with their families who have the primary care, to raise them, to be servants of the Lord, to love Him, to know Him, and to walk with Him. And this type of commitment is costly. We, we run, I'm not bragging, I'm just telling you the truth. We have chosen to run a very high level of a Christian education ministry at our church. And because of that, we have many needs. And when we make that known to you, it's not because we're begging or because nobody wants to serve. It's because we have chosen to make this, this is in our DNA. We've chosen this. And right now, we need some leaders. And I'm calling you. I am asking you, as your pastor, if God is putting it on your heart to be a shepherd, to be a shepherd to children, 
to little children, to young people. If you've seen those requests and you have been thinking about it and God is putting it on your heart, I am asking you to step forward and to step up. It's a commitment. And I have to tell you, in the years I've been in ministry, 38 years, or I don't know how many years, it's been a long time, but I started out as a Christian education minister. The one thing I have seen change in my lifetime and in our lifetime is the response, and I'm going to be honest with you. I told you, you know, pastors have to only take criticism. Okay, criticize me. It's okay, I can handle it. I'm a big guy. I can take a ball in the head, the back of the head, I survive. You can, listen. You know what I hear, what I've heard the, the biggest change has been? I don't want to be committed to have to do this all the time. Yes, it is a commitment. Yes, if you step forward and serve, you can have weeks off, you know. But yes, it is a commitment. Yes, you will be expected to be here and, and to serve. You will be expected to pray for that flock. You may have a flock of three-year-olds under you. You may be the under-shepherd to the three-year-olds in our church. And you will be called to pray for them, to love them, to protect them, to serve them, to feed them, and to lead them. And it does cost. I will be honest with you. It costs. We have people who went to Puerto Rico with our young people for this trip. Two weeks. People who go to camp and serve. They take their vacation time to do that. Some are independent contractors who give up work, who give up their means of income to do that. It is costly. Yes, it costs. Yes. But you know why they do it? Because they love your youth. That's why they do it. And I'm asking here, and I'm speaking on behalf of our church and our Christian ed department today, and I'm not doing it to make you feel guilty because it's not for everybody. But if I'm just telling you, if God has put this on your heart and you're wrestling with this a little bit right now, and you know God has called you because God has put the gifts in our church needed for us to carry on our ministries. If that is the case, I am asking you, step up. Come on, we pray for the Christians in northern Iraq who are being beheaded for their faith. But we don't want to be committed to have to be here when we could do other things. We will give you time off. You'll get the same pay as you would if you're here, Okay which is zero. But I'm telling I'm putting out a plea to you today, friends. Our, our, we have Wednesday night clubs. We have children's church. We have children's choir. We have junior high and senior high youth group. We have Sunday school. And we are committed to it. And we are going to do it with or without your participation if God's calling you. But if God is calling you, step up. And don't say I'm too old or too young. That's God's business, not yours or mine. I'm asking as your pastor today. It is the most wonderful thing you will ever do in your life to shepherd. I wish I could bring all the children, young people, and bring them up here. Pastor Peterson would do that, but it's, you know, it's, it's the end of the year. They're not all here today. I'd like to bring them up here and fill this day with our young people, our children, our babies, and let you see them and let you see how, what a joy it would be to shepherd a flock and to be an under-shepherd. The same principles that apply to me and the elders apply to that. And I'm asking you today, I'm asking you to pray about that. I'm asking you to be Bereans, 
And I just want you to know, we are not backing down. I know there are many churches today who don't have Sunday school anymore, Wednesday night clubs, I hear it all the time. I just want you to know, we are not backing down. We are going forward. And I would like you to be a part of it and share in that joy. Faith, come and lead us in some songs. Prepare us for next week's sermon. So last week I've been reading a book. I read mostly history and nonfiction when I'm not reading the Bible. <laughs> and uh, there's a book about the 15th Air Force, Army Air Force, AAF, in World War II. The 8th Air Force got most of the notoriety, but the 15th was serving from the Mediterranean up. And there's an account, typical, you read these stories, a typical, there's a bomber on his mission, bombardier was done with his part of the job, they were heading back, and one of his crew members was severely wounded in the shoulder and was about to go into shock, and he went back to see if he could help, got him stabilized, bandaged him up. Meantime, the plane was hit, and the plane was going down, and there was only one parachute because the other one was destroyed from the guy being hit. He took off his parachute, put it on the guy who could barely do anything, got him all set up, had, him, had it work so when he went, it pulled, he went and he survived. And the guy said, I'll never forget the look on his face because he knew what was going to happen. He knew what was going to happen. He knew he was going down with the plane, but he chose to give me his parachute and to save me. Commitment. 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 And sacrifice. And you might think, well, I'm not really a teacher. I could work in the nursery. Hey, you know what? Our babies need shepherds. They need shepherds too. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for the history that you've given this family of God. We're not bragging, Lord. We're just under shepherds. And I just pray, Lord, that uh, this will be a wonderful year. Uh, our babies and our preschoolers and our children and these beautiful young people you've placed in our care, uh, that we will see them continue to grow and mature into fully mature Christian adults who will continue to serve you. And I want to thank you for the absolute privilege of having a small part in their lives. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.